John 18. Look at John 18, verses 15 through 27, which are printed in the bulletin for you on the next page. So, um, Vincent van Gogh uh, is my favorite, one of my favorite artists. Uh, he's a Dutch artist uh, known for his use of color, especially. I think probably most painters, that's sort of what they specialize in, is how they use color. But uh, he's known for his use, uh, his application of color theory to uh, his painting. And so uh, he said once to his um, sister, I think it was in a letter, he said, there are colors that make each other shine. There are colors that make each other shine. He painted using what is known as uh, now, at least, I don't know if it was known back then as this, but it's known now as simultaneous contrast. Simultaneous contrast. It's when one color can actually change the way that we perceive another color, especially when these colors, these complementary or opposite colors, are juxtaposed in, um, uh, you know, directly next to each other. He says, colors make each other shine. So I'm not sure I understand all that, but I love his work. And I think that that idea, as far as I do understand it, that idea, colors that make each other shine, actually can help us understand what John has written in this part of the gospel that we're looking at this morning. We're looking at two scenes, two scenes that are uh, deliberately juxtaposed because each one makes the other shine, because um, each one helps us to understand the other. So Raymond Brown is a commentator on uh, John's gospel, and he says that there's this dramatic contrast taking place here. He says that Jesus stands up to his questioners and denies nothing, while Peter cowers before his questioners and denies everything. So Raymond Brown calls Peter a foil, which we should all be familiar with from our uh, education in literature, English. Um, He calls Peter a foil. It's a literary term for a character who highlights the character qualities of another character by contrast. And so uh, it's a simultaneous contrast. It's a simultaneous contrast because these colors that we're seeing in, in Jesus and in Peter, they make each other shine because seeing Jesus helps you to see Peter more clearly while seeing Peter helps you to see Jesus more clearly. And so the overall effect that this has, I think, is a beautiful picture of God's grace toward us. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, send your spirit now into our hearts and uh, renew our minds and transform us from the inside out. Make us able to receive your word and be changed by it into the likeness of Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Simon Peter followed Jesus. And so did another disciple. This is John, this other disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest 
then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoke openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me and what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So each one of the Gospels includes an account of Peter's denial of Jesus. Each one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have accounts. Each one goes well beyond just an offhand mention of Peter's denial. They each give a paragraph treatment of it, lingering painfully over it. Each one recording the fact that Peter denied Jesus three times. Three times. So that's significant. Apparently, the apostles thought that we really needed to know that Peter completely, utterly, and thoroughly disavowed Jesus. They think that we need to know that. He he severed the connection with finality. He cut himself off, absolutely, from Jesus. That's not meant to make you shake your head in disgust at this disloyal, despicable Peter... And look to distance yourself from him because, you know, we're not like Peter. It isn't even meant to communicate, don't be like disloyal Peter here. There's a sense in which this scene is an opportunity for Peter. It's an opportunity for him to remain faithful, but, but he fails. And that's recorded for us for a reason. Later... After Pentecost, in the book of Acts, he has similar opportunities and he is faithful. He becomes faithful. He becomes more faithful to Jesus, as a witness to Jesus. But that's another story, and that's another sermon. This one is about his failure in contrast, simultaneous contrast, to Jesus' faithfulness. So we're not talking about how you could do right what Peter did wrong, how you could get it right where he got it wrong. We're not talking about that. Um, So this isn't meant to communicate, don't be like disloyal Peter here. The fact of the matter is, you are like disloyal Peter. We all are. He's the one who reflects our parts in this story. To some degree or another. You're meant to recognize yourself in him. To recognize your own tendencies in him as sort of a representative. And you're supposed to see and appreciate the glorious contrast then that you see with Jesus. I said it a lot last week, Jesus is not like us. Jesus is not like us, and that's good news. Ultimately, that's good news. You might hear it as bad news, 
because it's a criticism of us or a condemnation of us, but it's not. Ultimately, it's good news to hear that Jesus is not like us. Nowhere is that more clear than in the final hours leading to his death. Each of the Gospels mentions Peter's betrayal during those hours, right in close proximity to Jesus, his interrogation by the Jewish ah, religious leaders. But only John, only John has this denial scene of Peter's pierced in the middle by Jesus' interrogation. It's interrupted. It's like these bookends, right? Only John has it that way. The scenes are interwoven together in John's gospel. The scenes are interwoven together to, to link their meaning. Outside, Peter begins his denial, and then the scene shifts inside to Jesus being questioned and being true, remaining faithful and steadfast, and then back outside for the conclusion of Peter's denial. So there's a sense of finality in Peter's renunciation of Jesus. You're supposed to get that sense. This is is final. This is absolute. This is utter disavowal. There is a sense there that this is what sinful humanity has to offer in relationship to God. Nothing. Period. But but that dead-end story, Peter's is a dead-end story right here, in and of himself. That dead-end story is interrupted and it's broken into by the true humanity of Jesus, who is willing even to suffer for the relationship that he has with God. Outside, it's cold and dark. The night is dimly lit by a charcoal fire where you can hardly see the face of the man standing next to you. Inside, the light of the world is shining as faithfully and brightly as ever. Even though evil and injustice are swirling and swarming around Jesus, and even though he dies, his light never flickers. His light never flickers fades, but only grows brighter, actually, in contrast to the darkness around him, all the people around him in this story. Jesus has freely given himself into the hands of evil men for our salvation, while Peter protects himself and even tries to get cozy by the fire, warms himself. Peter denies his association with Jesus. In contrast, Jesus doesn't waver. In his solidarity with his people, he's being questioned about his disciples. He doesn't throw them under the bus. He does everything that he does for their sake, in contrast to Peter, who's doing everything that he's doing for his own sake. Peter effectively throws Jesus to the wolves. In contrast, Jesus shelters his disciples from harm when questioned about them, and ultimately is going to the cross to shelter them from the wrath of God. Peter is afraid of a harmless little doorkeeper girl. Talk about an insignificant person. Somebody who's non-threatening, right? In this scene, she's a doorkeeper girl. She's she's non-threatening, but Peter's afraid of her, while Jesus inside is engaging fearlessly with the big bad wolf who's trying to throw his weight around, trying to intimidate Jesus, has Jesus struck. Jesus... Uh, is beginning to suffer the pain and the humiliation that will eventually culminate in his hanging naked on the cross. Peter bears false witness. He lies, breaks God's commandments. And he even tries to deny the true eyewitness of the man 
who just saw Peter cut off his cousin's ear in the garden just before this, minutes before this. While, by contrast, Jesus testifies to the Father's truth. That's what he's doing. Everything he's done is in accordance with God's law. If you want to know what I've done, ask the witnesses. That's according to God's law. If you want to put me on trial, go get some witnesses to testify about what I've done wrong. He testifies to the law, he testifies to the Father's truth, and he exposes, in doing that, he exposes the cruelty and the evil of his interrogators through, through his own faithfulness. His faithfulness shows up their sinfulness. <clears throat> Peter is really trying to hide in the dark. Peter hides in the dark. By contrast, Jesus points out that he's always been an open book to the entire public. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple. Lots of people heard me. All the Jews come together in these places. He, he said nothing in secret. He said nothing with hidden motives. He's, in, he's been an open book. Peter is presenting a false face to other people in order to be accepted by them and not rejected by them. Jesus is transparent and honest and clear all the way down, even though it means he'll be rejected by everybody. Peter feels trapped. He's in trouble. He's trapped. Jesus traps his accusers. They can't get out of what he's saying to them. They're in a dilemma. So their true colors are coming through in simultaneous contrast, colors that make each other shine. Colors that make each other shine. Jesus' faithfulness and his goodness, it exposes the sin of all the people around him, including his disciple, one of his closest friends. His faithfulness and his goodness exposes the sin um, of Peter, who just a few hours ago had styled himself to be Jesus' most loyal follower. We've heard it. We've heard him say it. Everybody else will fall away from you, but I will follow you to the end. I'll even die for you. That's what Peter insists. But he was wrong. Jesus is the light of the world who shows up our darkness by contrast. And our darkness, by contrast, shows just how bright his light really is. Shows just how bright the light of Christ really is. Jesus, he knew that Peter would completely, utterly, and thoroughly disavow him. That he would cut him off. Jesus knew Peter would do it. That didn't put Jesus off, though, from completely and utterly and thoroughly devoting himself for Peter's sake. Committing himself to this relationship. In fact, the grace and the majesty and the beauty of Jesus is all the greater for us seeing that he's absolutely committed in all of his faithfulness and goodness to someone even like Peter. Jesus is totally committed to totally depraved sinners like Peter. Peter was better off knowing the depravity of his own heart. It was good for him to come to this point and to hear himself deny Jesus three times and then to hear the rooster crow. It was good for him. He's better off knowing the depravity of his own heart because it meant truly knowing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's why it's good. Peter could never fool himself again into thinking that he was the good, strong, faithful, loyal companion. That illusion's been stripped away. His false piety was dismantled. His arrogant self-righteousness crumbled. Standing before God in and of himself was off the table. And he saw that. He knew it. If he's going to be reconciled to God, it would be in spite of himself. And that clarity is painful. But it also means a greater appreciation for Jesus as one's only hope. Peter's hope was not based in becoming the kind of person who would never sin against Jesus like that again. That's not where his hope was for a relationship with with God. Peter's hope was in Jesus Christ alone who forgives the bitterest of sins. Peter was a confused, despairing, cowardly, foolish, unbelieving denier. That's who he was. And, and left to yourself, that's who you are. Left to yourself, that's who, that's who we all are. Jesus lived and died and rose again to save people like Peter and people like us. Remember, we're like disloyal Peter. Like Peter who forgot Jesus' words of warning that he would deny the Lord that very night. You also frequently forget the Bible's description of you. Romans 3, as it is written... None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Surely this is an exaggeration. Surely that only applies to me 5% of the time. No. No, those words apply to us always. God says that's what your sinful humanity has to offer in relationship to him. Nothing. Period. That's the dead-end story of your humanity. Like Peter, you're often more concerned with your survival and your comfort than you are your relationship with Jesus. It's good for you to know that. Like Peter, you often hope that others don't discover your association with Jesus. You're afraid to claim him before others. Like Peter, you present a false face before others so that they don't hurt you. So they'll accept you, not reject you. You do that, I do that. Like Peter, we're afraid. And that's sin. That's sin against God. That's a violation of our relationship with God because it means we don't trust him. We don't trust him above all things. We don't love him above all things. We don't believe in his love. We don't believe in his goodness. We don't believe in his faithfulness. So we're afraid all the time. Like Peter, now you can no longer ignore the severity of the matter. You can no longer fool yourself into thinking that you're the good, faithful, loyal companion to Jesus. You're not that. With finality, you must see that for, for your part, for your part, you're, you've completely and utterly and thoroughly disavowed him by looking for life apart from him, by setting up your own reality apart from him. So if you're going to be reconciled to God, it will be in spite of yourself. 
You need to know that. But God never convicts you of sin just to afflict you with the pain of this knowledge about yourself, the pain of that realization, not just speaking evil of Peter, not just speaking evil of you or myself. This is always meant to be held together in simultaneous contrast with Jesus. God reveals your true colors in order that Jesus' true colors would shine all the brighter. That's always his purpose in convicting you of your sin. So here he is, Jesus Christ. Paul says, if we're faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. He cannot be someone other than who he is. He's faithful. Even if you're faithless. John says in his revelation, Jesus is called faithful and true. That's his name. That's who he is. All the way down. That's who he is. So your faithlessness doesn't put him off of you. It just highlights by simultaneous contrast his faithfulness to you. The cross is the clearest picture of our sin because look who we hung up there. Look what we did. It's the clearest picture of our sin. Faithful and true comes into the world. Let's get rid of him. That's what we do. So when you look at the cross, you see what we're capable of. and You see what lengths God had to go to in order to make things right. Uh, we sing a song, Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted. Here's a line from it. You who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here, here at the cross, may view its nature rightly. Here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed. Who's, who's being sacrificed here? See who bears the awful load. It's the Word, the Lord's anointed Son of Man and Son of God. I don't know who, how bad sin is. Look who's hanging on the cross. Even more so, the cross is the clearest picture of his love, not just of our sin, but of his love. Look at what lengths God went to in order to make things right. This was the worst we could possibly do to him. You need to have a clear picture of our sin. This is the worst we could possibly do to him. Nevertheless, he was willing to go even there for the very people who did their worst and put him there. Jesus is holy. He is set apart. He is so different from us because he gives himself to those who withhold themselves from him. He gives himself for these people. For us. We have rejected the relationship. We have severed it with finality. That's what we've done through our sin. We have severed it and he has moved forward and he has embraced even our rejection of him. He's embraced even that in order to embrace us and to stay in the relationship because he's faithful and true. Even killing him couldn't stop him from staying in the relationship. And when he came back from the dead, triumphant in God's love, in his commitment to stay in this relationship with you, he found Peter. He went and found him. He forgave all of his sins. He restored him. And he gave Peter the Holy Spirit so that Peter could start leaning into that relationship too. 
And that shows up the darkness of our sin, sure, but the real effect of it, the real effect of our understanding our sinfulness is to display the light of his glorious goodness, even against this dark backdrop. So let me close with the words of D.A. Carson. He says, as serious as was Peter's disowning of the master, so greatly also must we esteem the grace that forgave him and restored him to fellowship and service. And that means that there's hope for the rest of us. Amen. Let's pray.